Hey, Emily. Hey, Greg. It's uh, always a challenge to do this show remotely, uh, which we've been doing well before everybody had to do their shows remotely. And it was a fun thing this morning when we tried to start the show and you called in and all we could hear was a TV going in the background. And it turns out that it was Stephen A. Smith <laughs> having done a radio hit earlier in the day was still connected and it was just his TV in the background where, where, where it should have been Emily Kaplan. It was Stephen A. Smith's TV. I obviously couldn't hear it because I wasn't allowed on the line, but I'm just assuming he was watching replays of first take. Yes. <laughs> yes. Stephen A. was watching himself on first take and arguing with himself while watching himself on first take. It was amazing. Stephen A., you don't Gotta know what you're talking reps about. In. Gotta get those reps in. I wish I wish Stephen A was. Uh, we got to get him into the cult of hockey because that guy. I mean, he he occasionally occasionally will talk about it, but my God, the gold, the gold that's there. If Stephen A could give us uh, full attention to hockey for a few months, would be amazing to me. You know, one of our guests on the show later today is PK Subban, who was on first take. I think we've got to ask him about it. What it was like being on that show? Exactly, or thoughts in general on Stephen A. Yeah, coming up today, PK Subban. Uh, giving us the skinny on his new game show he's doing. I'm very jealous of that. And then uh, the retiring Christopher Stieg with some great nostalgia for those Blackhawks teams uh, and his uh, wild and wacky career around the world. All that and more on this edition of ESPN and Ice. Let's start the show proper, shall we? From the ice to your earbuds, a podcast about hockey. Featuring things to do with hockey. From your friends at ESPN, it's ESPN On Ice with Wachinski and Kaplan. It's ESPN On Ice. It's the podcast where ESPN talks about hockey. I'm Greg Wachinski, senior quarantine reporter. <laughs> I'm Emily Kaplan, national isolation reporter. And as we uh, do each week during the pause, uh, we give you news and notes from quarantine. Self-quarantine extended to April 30th for NHL players. Again, meaningless arbitrary number that will keep on moving uh, and moving and moving until there's a point to restart the season. But Emily, as we do the show today, big news from the man that we all look to for news about coronavirus, Dr. Fauci unleashes his plan to return to sports on a Snapchat talk show. People are still holding out hope for some kind of abbreviated baseball season this summer. College football will start in late August, NFL right after that. Do you think those sports seasons are in jeopardy? Are we going to have college football this fall? There's a way of doing that. Nobody comes to the stadium. Put them in big hotels, you know, wherever you want to play. Keep them very well surveilled, namely a, a surveillance, but have them tested like every week and make sure they don't wind up infecting each other or their family and just let them play the season out. I mean, people say, well, you know, you, you, you can't play without spectators. Well, I think you probably get enough buy-in from people who are dying to see a baseball game particularly me i'm living in washington we have the world champion washington nationals you know i want to see them play again so there you go so no fans in arenas or stadiums okay you put the players in big hotels wherever you want to keep them and you keep them surveilled uh maybe a hotel connected to the arena like they have in buffalo and then uh, constant surveillance and weekly tests. And that's the Fauci plan for restarting sports. And by the way, let's just, you know, cut to the chase. They're going to restart sports. I mean, 
Trump, President Trump is now uh, putting together these uh, these task forces of uh, uh, and commissioners and Mark Cuban and Robert Kraft and Vince McMahon and all these other people to, to get sports going again. So, it, I mean, it's going to probably happen, and, and this is the Fauci plan. Yeah, and Bettman is going to be on one of those calls with Trump uh, that the NHL office told me yesterday. That is going to be the case. You know, it's interesting. We started this week with that quote from Drew Doughty, who pretty much was incredulous, saying, I just can't <laughs> see how we're going to play this summer. I can't. And honestly, Drew Doughty echoed what I believe. I think what you believe um, and what a lot of people believe is just so hard to stage and then all of a sudden, it does feel like the narrative is changing a little bit. Gary Bettman went on Fox Business Network this morning on Wednesday and said, my guess at this point is we're probably going to be playing into the summer, which is something that we certainly can do. What's funny about that is I feel like this is the strongest statement Gary Bettman has made yet, and it includes the word probably. So that's kind of where we're at in society. <laughs> um, but it does all of a sudden feel like there's a path of Dr. Anthony Fauci is advocating for it because we do know that this is the guy that's kind of the moral compass of our country right now. That said, I do think these are a lot of ifs to get together in a very quick amount of time. The biggest one to me is that quick testing and whether it would be mm-hmm. ethical for a big, large private company like the NHL to secure that in time and be able to distribute it to all the players that are quarantined in this large hotel with all the staff members and referees and you, maybe you or me. Yeah, right. No, and, and that's the thing. Like you said, staff members, referees, uh, let's for- remember that the whole point of bringing this back would not be to have fans in the buildings. It would be to put the games on television. So now we're talking about different television crews. Uh, it is it is a massive undertaking of people that have to be in one place, even if you space out a playoff into different regional areas where you have a few series being held in a single place. You're still talking about a massive amount of people in a, in one place and the necessity for testing and things like that. But like you said, I mean, there seems to be a little bit more movement. It does seem to be uh, the summertime hockey plan uh, could be something that comes together. And again, that's, that's why I've said for a long time that uh, calls for the entire season to be canceled at this point, I think, are very premature just because we don't know what this is going to look like in a month. We don't know what it's going to look like in two months. But on top of that, you know, there might be a path to doing it without fans in the building. Um, the, the Dowdy thing you brought up was interesting. I was on that call. And uh, I know his comments about not only uh, I don't think they're coming back to play, but also if they do come back to play, the Stanley Cup is is not a true Stanley Cup because of the way the season went. I know everybody looked at those and said, all right, but if the Kings didn't suck, what would you be saying? And to Dowdy's credit, he said, probably not this. <laughs> you know, he was very candid about that. Um, but I thought the people were taking away the wrong lesson from those words. They were not – everybody focused on the playoff stuff and the canceling the season stuff. To me – Drew Doughty was probably speaking for a lot of players on the Kings, on the Ducks, on the Sharks, on the Senators, the Devils, definitely the Red Wings, who are looking at this situation and seeing Gary Bettman and Bill Daly and the NHLPA all saying the same thing, which is we we are prioritizing trying to play regular season games if we can, and saying to themselves, why? What? Why do I want to come back and risk my health so, uh, you know, a, a team that's headed to the playoffs can just get to 72 games or some such? Like, it's nonsense. And to me, that was the takeaway from Dowdy. The takeaway was he is speaking on behalf of players that have absolutely no desire to play games in July and August because they don't – why? They're not, they're not in the playoffs. They're not going to be in the playoffs. Even if you expand the playoffs, they're not going to be in the playoffs. So what's the point? 
And I, th- I think that's a very important thing to think about as we move forward on this whole notion of trying to complete the regular season, which, as everybody knows, listens to the podcast and reads this on ESPN, I think is garbage. Um, but uh, but I thought he was voicing that pretty well in that conversation. Totally. The one quote I take away from it is, what are we working out for? It's hard to kind of figure that out. And I think that's the biggest thing because it is really difficult for these players to stay in shape with a lot of them with limited resources right now. Like, I can't tell you how many players I've talked to over the last three weeks who have mentioned making a pit stop to Target to go pick up dumbbells and a jump rope. Like, that's we're doing. Sorry, you're going to have to bleep me out there, Ryan. But like, (laughs) that's how we're doing this. And they're professional athletes. And for them, you know, most players have not gone two months without being on the ice and then being thrust into game action. That's not something. Usually guys take a couple weeks off of the summer and don't skate then, but then they get to ease back into it. And that's just what you hit at is that health risk of trying to stay in shape as best they can, even though it's really difficult, then being thrust into this training camp to get ready to go play these game actions all for nothing, especially for teams that are not in playoff position. I do think that it is a huge health risk. A lot of players um, could jeopardize, you know, future earnings and parts of their career. So I'm glad Drew Doughty spoke up. And you're right. I, I think it's as easy to make an Ottawa Senators attendance joke when every time we talk about games with no fans, it's very easy to bring up the Kings and their not-so-great record. But he he's a guy with a voice, and we should be listening to it. Yeah, and you know, we talked to Bill Daly last week before we uh, did our usual Monday roundup on ESPN about the latest uh, coronavirus news for the NHL. And uh, one of the things that uh, stood out for me in the conversation was when we talked about the Roman Reigns issue, which is, for those that don't know, Roman Reigns, WWE wrestling superstar, opted out of WrestleMania because he's immunocompromised. Um, he didn't want to put himself at risk. He didn't want to put his family at risk. And they had to deal with that. So I asked Bill Daly, like, what if that happens? What if a player says, I don't feel comfortable coming back in the summer. I don't feel comfortable coming back until, you know, there's better testing. There's better remedies. There's a vaccine. And he said, if a particular player had a particular concern, we've had similar situations in the past. And we we as a league have been sensitive and receptive to that situation. Obviously, if it becomes too widespread, then it becomes more problematic in terms of our ability to get back. But that will be handled up front. So it does sound like the NHL at least is going to have a heart, uh, for lack of a better term, when it comes to players who don't want to put themselves at health risk. But it does sound like if it's a lot of players saying, nah, no summertime hockey for me until we have this thing figured out, then it's going to be a different story. What was your takeaway totally. from Daly? It was all about the neutral site playoffs to me because that's the idea that really seems to be getting steamed. That's the idea that now Dr. Anthony Fauci endorses. And, you know, we heard the sites of North Dakota and Manchester, New Hampshire being mentioned early, and I think people kind of ran with it. What was so interesting for him saying, yeah, you know, we're looking at a bunch of sites. And actually, once those rumors got out there, cities and venues across North America were reaching out to us saying, hey, can we be a host? So I I think that's hilarious that they're almost – auctioning off their services of like, hey, what can you serve us? And how can you, um, you know, host us this spring and we can help your economy? Um, so yeah, I, I think that was really interesting. I also asked him, you know, we hear so much about truncated playoff series, especially if they're going to have to squeeze so much in, would best of one, best of three be on the table? Mm-hmm. He was pretty adamant that there would not be any single elimination playoff games. That's not something that I think, you know, when we're talking about keeping the integrity of the Stanley Cup intact as mu- best as we can, a single elimination would not fit into that. But he didn't close the door on best of three series, and that was fascinating to me. Yeah, indeed. All right, lots to get to uh, when it comes to the news. Also lots to get to when it comes to our first guest. And now joining us on the line is longtime NHL player, two-time Stanley Cup winner, 
and recent retiree Chris Versteeg. Chris, we first got to ask you, why now? What made you decide that this was the time to hang up your skates? Well, let's just say it wasn't uh, the coronavirus that did it to me. I I knew it was coming, and there was uh, probably since last year uh, when I was done in the NHL and headed over to Russia, and you kind of realize that uh, it, it, is, it is difficult playing over there without kids, and you start to weigh pros and cons, and you give yourself a, maybe another year just to try to do it, and I did that to really play with my brother and play in the Spangler Cup so I, I did that and after that I kind of knew that it was going to be over and we talked with the PA about doing an announcement they're doing it with some old players now announcements and we we're going to do it right at the end of the year but obviously with the coronavirus thing they put it on hold and then got back to me about announcing it uh, a few days ago so that's that's how it all came about what uh the last one of the last tour stops for you was uh, uh tell me if i'm saying this incorrectly is it nitra or nitra in slovak yeah in nitra slovak. or nitra either or either or how, how'd you yeah how'd you end up there <laughs> so my my brother's been there this is his fourth year now and uh he's been over in europe i think for about eight years and we'd never played together and i always told him at one point in our careers that we'd love to play together and i knew with uh, everything going on uh, at the end of my career that it was going to be a possibility if if uh, I, I had the option to and uh, if there was a opening on their team so that's kind of what happened after after Rockford was over I had those injuries and it was just too tough to deal with that schedule again on my body and and I really wanted to play in the Spangler Cup and really wanted to play with my brother and fortunately there was an opening there on his team but unfortunately uh, uh during the second period in the spangler cup final i took a shot off my foot and broke my navicular bone so oh, i only got to play a couple games with him uh, but at the end of the day it was it was an amazing experience and it, it also kind of makes you understand just how good hockey players all over the world are i mean it's not just the nhl or ahl you know these these players come from all over so it, it makes you really um, respect and understand everything people go through, not only at the NHL level, but uh, even in Slovakia and parts of the countries that uh, have hockey is arguably their number one sport. Chris, when people uh, go back and they're going to look at your Elite Prospects page or your Hockey DB page, they'll see right after your NHL career, you signed in the KHL, which is what a lot of you know former NHL players do. But you were only in Omsk for 11 games, and then you went to the Swedish League. I think people are going to have a lot of questions about that. What's the story there? What happened in the KHL? Did you like it? Uh, and why did you go on to Sweden? I'm sure people's brains are going, did I get smuggled under a plane and thrown out of the country or something? But Chris, I wasn't going to go there. I was just going to let you lay it out. Well, you know what? I, I went there, and uh, well, what the issue was is, a lot of times, too, when you go there, you have to be okay to come in the country. And my family had applied for their letters. So it was going to be a while till they could come in. But um, I showed up and I got a really, really bad stomach bug. Like, I don't know what it was. And I was sick for like two weeks. And I, and I was kind of away from my family and a little stressed out. And then I ended up getting shingles. I don't know if any of you guys have had shingles or heard of shingles. No. Yes. It, I've heard of them. It's like, it's like uh, oh, boy. It was like someone was stabbing me. I was like laying in a bed in St. Petersburg, and it was like someone was stabbing me with a hot fork in the back for like three days, you know. Whoa. And it was it was horrible. So 
uh, I came back and played another week after that, and my family and my kids were at home, and uh, my wife was just pregnant, and it was just—it was a little too much, too much stress to deal with. And but overall, like Rob Hartley was my coach, and Max Talbot was there, was there, and David Darnay. So having guys around like that made it great, and the guys on the team were great. I think in any hockey room, they can they can say that, but. Uh, I wasn't there long enough to give you crazy stories, and, and they did treat me well when I was there, so I really had no complaints, but it was more the fact that I was away from my pregnant wife and family, and I couldn't uh, couldn't mentally make it work. I was actually out um, in Moscow for the KHL All-Star Game this year, and I got to meet Hartley. He is a character. Holy cow. <laughs> what was it like playing for him? <laughs> yeah, he uh, he's up front. He's in your face, and... Uh, he's intense. Uh, like I said, I only played 10, 11 games for him, but you know, you hear stories and you have guys who talk to you about before you go there about what it's like playing for him. Um, for me, he was fair and he gave me an opportunity to play there. So, uh, I mean, I, I really have no ill feelings towards anything there. I just told him, look, my family, that's kind of what it came down to for us. But between me and him, uh, it was good, but you, you do see the, the passion and, um, the demand is high and not just in games and practices. It was, uh, it was hard. It was probably the hardest <laughs> practices of my professional career. Your first season in Chicago was 2007, 2008. This was right before Q shows up. This is right before the team goes on the run, starts taking over the town. We all know what happened on the ice. I want to know what was it like for a young guy in Chicago during that time when the Blackhawks just become this all-encompassing, like, I'm not going to say Jordan-level, Bulls-level of popularity, but, like, you guys ruled the town for a few years. What, what was that like being in Chicago during that time for you? It was it was wild. It, it was, <laughs> and, you, and you're right about that. It, it was, uh, it, obviously nothing's like Jordan. Jordan is, like, he's my idol, you know, and, but the guys after Jordan, I'm sure guys like Taze and Kane felt like Scottie Pippen and, you know, Steve <laughs> Kerr and those guys. So it, it, it's, it really was amazing. And like you said, so when I got there and the 2000 and during the 2007 season, I remember the up and down here, there was like six, 7,000 people in the stands. Yeah. And I went to a bar with my NHL, uh, my card and I went to the front of the line, and they're like, what is this? I'm like, I'm coming in, of course. And they're like, get out of here. I'm like, all right. <laughs> Kick me to the back of the line, you know. And, um, it was not even like six months later that we start the 08-09 season, and obviously uh, William Wirtz had passed away, and Rocky came in, and John McDonough came in, and they it was like the checkbook was opened, and they really brought, they really tried to bring as many fans back as they could, and you had every gender, every... Uh, age coming back in droves to be Hawks fans, and not only did were they fans again because of a lot of the work that was put into it, but the the talent was on the ice. and And I think the thing is, is obviously social media is a little different now. Is we had a really good relationship with the fans, and we were always out, and we were always, you know, if they were out with us, we'd hand them a beer or whatever, and uh, thank them or they'd thank us. It was a little more old school in that sense, and uh, it, it was just. Uh, it was a great relationship both ways, and I think the the thing that really epitomizes that was the 2010 Cup when we won, and we brought it to every bar and every tavern or every little place, hole in the wall that every guy went to, and we showed it off there. And I know my establishment that I love, my good friend worked there forever, was a tavern, and we brought it there, and then we'd get back on the bus and go to the next place, and we really... <laughs> 
we really did have fun and we we took it in with the entire city when do you think it changed i live in chicago now and you know i've been around the blackhawks the last couple years and it's not like that anymore like the guys don't go out like that maybe it's the young guys you know trying to like take a cab to lakeview and and see what wrigleyville's like (laughs) but they're not going to the pony bar or anything like that like did you notice a change in your second stint with the blackhawks yeah i did and the other thing is is I said a lot of our hairlines were worse the second time I got back, you know, <laughs> near the end. Like, um, guys had changed, families had come along, and um, I guess uh, even just everything in general, like you say, with social media, I think changed a lot of that mm-hmm. aspect. Um, but, you know, back then it, it was hard to explain to, or it's not hard to explain, it's easy to explain. We had just like a brotherhood. Uh, we started in the minors. We came together, and it, I I thought, like, we were big during the 0809 season. It was just like it went from nothing to crazy. But where it took off was after we lost to Detroit in the Western Conference Finals in 2009, there was, like, it was damn near a parade, you know. And everywhere we go, I remember um, there we are at this one, like, country bar, and all 20 of us were standing on chairs, and they had it roped off, just us 20, and we were just having beers. And there was, like there was probably five or 600 people just standing there watching us drink beers. And there's like the whole outside of the bar was packed and it was just, it was like rock star stuff. Like you said, and like, what, what is going on? And I think that's the moment where we realized what kind of was created within a city. And if you actually win and you compete and work hard for the people of Chicago, they'll reciprocate the love and give you it back. And boy, did they ever, it was an amazing bond. And I think that, that cup run in 08 09 was the one where it, it ignited everything for sure for sure um yeah, man, obviously chicago's got a huge part of your of your hockey heart um did you have another uh favorite stop outside of chicago where you played yeah i had two um florida i loved florida oh yeah and uh yeah i, I love florida and i played my best hockey i think in florida in the first 45 46 games i think i had 48 points and then i i tore my hip really bad and uh, tried to play it at a couple more games and just couldn't do it. And then it missed three weeks, came back, and it wasn't the same. And not until the playoffs where you could, you know, you could take stuff to help you play, basically, uh, is where, you know, I played some of my best hockey, and me and, D- and Dale Talon had a great relationship. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, he, I owe him a lot. You know, he's someone who, uh, he's made my family's life a lot easier for what it is from, you know, either paying me or giving me an opportunity. So uh, Florida for that year, obviously, I, I then had my hip surgery and tore my knee and I uh, had a couple bad injuries there where I came out. So on the hockey aspect, at the end, it was a little rough, but the living and the lifestyle and how I was treated there, I loved it. And then Calgary, I mean, uh, they let me come home. Brian Burke, who uh, who's made a stamp on my career as well, who I, I really respect a lot, uh, and Brad Trelevin as a GM and a person, uh, just two great guys. They gave me an opportunity to come home at the end of my NHL career and actually prove that I could still play at a decent level and help and compete. And, and I tried to really give everything I had left to uh, my hometown. And uh, it, I don't think it would have been something I could have done at the start of my career. <laughs> but near the end with a family and everyone, you realize that coming home and playing in front of friends and family, there's really nothing more special than that to me. And I love the Flames organization and everyone in it for that. 
I loved it. Just going back to Chicago, um, I mentioned I live here, and I'm convinced that Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taze, their public personas are like a little exaggerated and opposite. Um, Patrick is not uh, is a little more serious than everyone gives him credit for, and Taze is a little more fun than everyone gives it credit for. Uh, firstly, do you agree? A hundred percent. I said that since day one. So everyone was like, "Ah, oh, Taser's Mister," and he is serious. And he like when he's right. in his own bubble, he's driven. There's no one like it, you know. Um, but the person I've seen put more work into his game than anyone is Patrick Kane. It is before practice, after practice. There's no one who loves hockey more than Patrick, and he has put endless amounts of work into it. And you can see it. Uh, you can see as he gets older. Um, how fresh he is out there. The guy plays 24, 25 minutes. He's so efficient. And that's all a testament to him putting the work in each and every day uh, and wanting to be better. And I mean, I played on a line with him a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of the time in Chicago. And, and he demands a lot of his line mates too. I mean, I remember countless times when he would tell me if I had the puck, there's uh, someone else who should have it. So if, uh, if he's demanding the puck and he wants it, then obviously he's going to get it. So it's, it's a player that, there's a dog in him that uh, you know all the top players have, but has just had a little more bite and has wanted to work a little bit harder than everyone else. For sure. Well, to that end, you know, Taze I think is a little goofier than everyone gives him credit for, and maybe has more personality. Doesn't show to the media. Do you have a favorite Jonathan Taze story that you really feels like encapsulates who he is and who you knew him as a teammate? Yeah, we, we got lots. I mean, I, I was kind of known for just picking at John. Me and Buff would always pick at John and go at him, and he'd always set up his three pucks before practice and stick handle around him and do his serious drills, and we'd be rifling pucks at his piles, and he'd come over and snap and swing his stick and shoot his pucks at us, and he'd go back up and set them up again, and bang, he'd be right back at it again. So there was always little times where we were always picking at him, but John is a, John is a great friend of mine, and um, he's someone who uh, has a heart, literally has a heart of gold. And I, I know if I was going through hard times or tough times, he would always notice it and he'd come over and talk to you and sit you down. And um, I know that's not a funny story, probably what you're looking for, but it truly shows of what what he is and the person he is and, um, you know, the, the pulse he has on his team. And, and he truly does care because he doesn't just care about you as a hockey player, he cares about you as a person. So, but he he was definitely one guy who I loved to pick at uh, from my first game to my last, and uh, and I I mean I still troll him hard on Instagram, so that's never <laughs> going to stop. Do you think he'll ever run for office? Taser? Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, damn, those both both those guys could in Chicago. Okay. <laughs> um, just, Taves has so much going on off the ice, like all the all the climate stuff yeah, and, uh, yeah. and other stuff that he's into. Just seem, he, he seems like he's got a real sort of political bent that he doesn't always bring to the forefront. But he always struck me as somebody who might do that, like after his days are done in the NHL. Yeah, I'm sure he'd be a guy. Like I, I don't know. I know me and him definitely. We we talk. The thing about me and John, we've always been able to do is talk about things other than hockey. We have a lot of similar interests, and you know. Uh, he's someone obviously with his, his foundation and trying to feed children and do it, you know, with a natural way, you know, having your own gardens and things like that. I think those are amazing things that he's doing. And at times, obviously, uh, may poke certain bears, right? And, and politically. And, and I think a little while ago in social media, if you would say things, it would tick people off. And right now he's a hockey player, but I, I definitely could see him later on in life. Uh, finding another way to 
you know, change people's lives, whether it's more philanthropy or doing things of such. But he's he's going to have many different avenues he can choose and go. And uh, I, I wouldn't actually be surprised, you're right, if, if that would be a way he would want to go with life. Prime Minister Taves. Speaking of avenues, man, what are you going to do now? What's what's what, what, I mean, obviously you're going to sit around for a little bit, <laughs> but after yeah. that, what are your aspirations? Yeah, I think I'm going to get back into uh, media in a sense. I, I always would have loved to. I'm finding out that it, it you know it's it's hard because you get 15 seconds to give your piece and you don't really get a uh, get or encapsulate everything you were thinking into that 15 seconds, but. Uh, so those are things that you need to learn with repetition. And I did some games back in Calgary in 2019, I believe, 18, 19 season. And I did the trade deadline, which was a, a cool experience. And I, I really enjoyed it. And so Sportsnet's asked me to, you know, come on and do, do some more and get some more reps in and try, try my hand at that. But I really want to do it because my, my kids are young and I want to coach them and try to give them everything I've learned and played with so many great players and coaches that I try to turn everything on to them. And maybe after hot, when they're done and done coaching them, maybe can get back into the game. But media really seems something that I can still stay relevant and help, you know, and watch hockey and um, be a part of something and have a purpose while also being able to help my kids at the same time with scheduling. Awesome. Well, Chris, we so appreciate your time. Um, happy retirement. We can't wait till we see you in a press box, I guess, sometime soon. And how can yeah, fans need, follow you if I'm they want to? The yeah. Now, right? I'm on the dark side. Anytime you guys <laughs> right. read me, you, let me know. <laughs> I appreciate that. How can Welcome. fans follow you? You said you're on Instagram. Should they follow you on yeah, Twitter? Yeah, you can, add you on LinkedIn? Instagram is stigalicious. I'm going to start. Well, that's what I'm going to do is I, uh, I'm going to start opening it up, uh, or my Instagram up and just having people. And then I'm sure at some point while I get started, I'd like to do some Instagram lives and just take questions, you know, as I'm working uh, with Sportsnet and uh, take questions and get people's, I guess, points of view as well when the season gets going on. Perfect. Thank you so much, man. We appreciate the time. Awesome. Thanks, guys. All right. That was awesome. Uh, Also awesome, the news that came out of Switzerland uh, recently about Florence Schelling that you wrote about. Yeah, Florence Schelling, she, everyone knows her as the longtime Swiss goaltender. She is someone who Nora Ratti said you have to figure out the puzzle of Florence every time you play her. She's incredible. <laughs> but now at age 31, she is the GM of SC Bern, which is one of the top attended teams in all of Europe and top leagues in all of European hockey and uh, all of hockey in the world. So it's a pretty incredible role by her. Um, and really, you know, I talked to a lot of people who knew her. She played at Northeastern University, including Kendall Coyne Schofield, who was a freshman when Florence was a senior. And I just love this quote. She's like, it takes a lot of courage to be the first of something. And it takes a lot, a really strong woman to be the first. And that's Florence. But that doesn't mean the second is any less strong. And once that barrier is broken, the floodgates open. I think women saw the announcement of Florence's new role and their heads started spinning, thinking, can that be me one day? Can I do that? I didn't even know that was an option for me. And this to me is why visibility matters. And Kendall was telling me that like, she's gotten a bunch of texts from people being like, how did Florence get to this point? What is her story? And so I know that everyone who knows her is so proud of her. She's worked extremely hard from this moment, um, being really involved in the business school in Northeastern, getting her MBA while she was playing in Sweden, also playing with the boys for a lot of her career. Um, and it's just going to be really cool to see her run a team. It will. And, um, you know, as, as we've talked about many times before, 
a lot of this change starts at the top. You need to kind of have people uh, keep the gatekeepers keeping the gates have to be people that are going to let people through the gates and uh, more people that are in positions of power, the better it's going to be. Now, I noticed a trend here and I wanted to get your thoughts on this. So Florence Schelling, for those who don't know, a national hero in Swiss Swiss hockey, like national team goaltender, uh, Olympic star, um, really well known. The only time they ever won a medal in the Olympics, they got bronze in 2014 and she was the tournament MVP. She was incredible in that tournament. Precisely. So you have that. Haley Wickenheiser gets hired by the Maple Leafs, obviously Hall of Famer. Cami Granado gets hired by Seattle. Again, obvious Hall of Famer. Um, it seems like you got to be really good and really famous on the women's side of hockey in order to get some of these gigs. Do you, do you feel the same way? I think for right now, just because that's the way we're conditioned to do things. Um, you know, I, I think it goes back to Kendall quotes like, it takes a lot of courage to be the first, but now that she's out there, other women will now aspire to this track. And I think of Florence who didn't even know women's hockey existed when she was a child because she never saw women's hockey. Like she never envisioned this path for herself. It just kind of carved itself out. And because she was so incredible at hockey, it became available. I think once we have women like Florence and Cammie and, you know, the other national heroes, Haley Wickenheiser in these roles, other women, it'll be more normalized for them to be up there. And we will see players that are not as accomplished in their playing careers and maybe didn't even play at all, which would be really a sign of progress. Yeah. Right. Like like some of the some of the women we've seen hired in uh, analytics departments, for example. Exactly. Going through there. Um, yeah, it's all good news. And it was a really nice story. And if you haven't seen it, uh, check it out on ESPN.com. Now, uh, time for our next guest on the podcast. Joining us now on the line, New Jersey Devils defenseman P.K. Subban, who is hosting a new NHL trivia show, weekly trivia show called NHL Hat Trick Trivia. It's going to be P.K. It's going to be special guest stars, including Gary Bettman, apparently, which is pretty cool. Uh, Saturdays on Sportsnet at noon, uh, every Saturday at 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time on the NHL's YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. And also, episode one is going to air Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern on NBC Sports Network. PK, welcome to the show, man. So I am super jealous. I've always wanted to be a game show host, and now you get to be one. <laughs> so what's that like? Yeah. Well, um, yeah, it's been a really cool experience for me so far. Um, you know, I've done a couple hosting gigs before, um, you know, whether it's for uh, Just for Laughs or, you know, doing it on NBC with my, my special um, a couple of years ago. So, you know, I, I've had a little bit of experience there, but I've never done a game show, and uh, it's been it's been a lot of fun, you know, interacting with the fans. And you know, I think what's been cool, too, about the fan component of the show is having fans on that are nurses or first responders, uh, police officers, you know, that are currently working on the front lines right now during COVID-19. So it's been great to, to be able to connect with them and kind of get that perspective of this 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 time. Um, and also having some celebs come on, you know, um, you know, having uh Gary come on was awesome yesterday. We had uh Gary coming on, the big commish coming on and he did a really good job, <laughs> helped out with the show. Uh we had Chase Race come on. Um we had Patrice Bergeron on yesterday, Patrick Maroon episode one. So it's gonna be great. I think uh, you know, moving forward as the episodes go, our our goal is just to try to get better and better and uh but I'm enjoying it. Tell me a little bit about filming with Gary Bettman. Uh, what was his personality like? Was he having fun with it? What was that experience like? You know, 
I've been in the league for a long time, and uh, Gary and I have, cr- have crossed paths uh, so many times. I know that his uh, his nephews uh, from New Jersey, huge huge Devils fan, and Matthew's done some work on the red carpet, and I've done a lot of things for the NHL and red carpets and behind the scenes and around the award show. So I've got I've, I've gotten the opportunity to interact maybe with Gary more than than a lot of the players and. Um, Gary's hilarious, in my opinion. He's got a great personality, and I think, you know, it's tough. When you're the commissioner of the league, it's tough to show that um, and be that way all the time. But I think he has a good job of balancing it and also not taking himself too seriously. You know, um, he's obviously a very smart businessman, and then, you know, to see the NHL grow to what it is now, um, he's done a really good job in that regard. Uh, but it was really cool to, to have him on the show yesterday. It was It was a lot of fun, and um, I think he's hilarious compared to all the other commissioners. Uh, I'd rank him pretty high. It's not the highest. <laughs> it's a low bar, man. Uh, <laughs> last time you were on ESPN, you were on first take. You dropped the idea that we should have a 31 team playoff, which sure, certainly made Devils fans pretty happy. What kind of feedback did you get when you, uh, when you made that suggestion? Well, first of all, you know, I didn't do it just to say it. I, I honestly believe that the way we were playing down the stretch, our team was playing a lot better. I mean, we went from being, a lot of games uh, away from being a 500 team to being one game behind 500 with, you know, 13 games left to go. And, you know, I think we were, I think we ended up being like 10 or 11 points out, but, uh, you know, we had won, like, I think it was seven or eight games in a row or got points in seven or eight games. So we were playing some really good hockey down the stretch. Um, and I think that our fan base was getting a little bit excited by, Obviously, the way uh, Corey came back and played for our team and Blackie, the way he was playing in net, our team defense, and we were starting to put the puck in the net as well. So I think, uh, you know, for our team, with that confidence, you know, getting an opportunity to maybe play in a 31-team format, um, you know, could, could, could serve us very well. You know, I, I think that we're a team that could definitely do some damage in, in that type of format. So, um, but that's, those are my dreams, you know, whether <laughs> – whether that happens or not, that remains to be seen. And, I mean, let's let's be honest here, guys. The number one focus is the health and wellness of everybody. I mean, there's still a lot of people out there suffering and a lot of families suffering. And um, before we can start talking about sports, we have to uh, start seeing people uh, get a whole lot better and the situation get better. Mm-hmm. I think you're one of maybe – Two to three, I would be my guess, of hockey people who have been on first take. I just want to know what that experience is like. Do you think that Stephen A. is a hockey fan? <laughs> well, you know what? I'm very lucky. Uh, now, I was on the first time during the uh, NBA Finals when the Raptors uh, were rolling pretty good there. Uh, I got to do that in my hometown. That was awesome. And I got to... You know, I stay in touch with Stephen A. every now and then. I text him every now and then. He always answers back, which is really nice. <laughs> um, what do you text him but, about? Uh, he, 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 what's that? What do you text him about? Um, whenever I see him on TV, I'll just you know I'll, I'll text him about certain things that are going on and get his take on it. But it's it's usually very short blasts. And I, I remember messaging him before I went on um, recently, and just to tell him that I was looking forward to it. He hit me back, and then we sort of exchange text messages after the show as well so you know hopefully i can get back on a little bit more i actually love the show you know it's i watch it every day um i enjoy it i know that uh at prudential center whenever we go into the lounge every morning game day or not first take is on in our lounge so we watch it every morning um you know so i'm a fan of the show 
I'm also a fan of, of Stephen A and Max Kellerman and, and Molly Quarum. I think they, they all do a great job. They bring a ton of energy, but they're very, very smart sports people. So uh, it was a really cool experience for me to be on the show. That's awesome. You mentioned the Devils, man. Uh, interim coach, interim GM. Uh, the offseason seemed like it changed the course of the franchise. Was there sort of a sense of uncertainty amongst the boys during before the pause hit? And is it even more uncertain now that we don't even know how much of an offseason we're going to get? Yeah, well, there's a lot of uncertainty, you know, for everyone, I think, for all teams. I mean, you know, there's uncertainty about the cap and where the cap's going to go. I mean, we went from the cap possibly going up, what, $2.5 million to possibly now going down, mm-hmm. uh, you know. So there, there's a lot of different things that are happening, not just for the Devils, but for all 30, uh, all, all the other 30 teams in the league. So I think, uh, you know, for us, you know, we're the youngest team in the league or one of the youngest teams in the league. And, you know, we have to continue to build and build for the future and build this team to be a competitive team. And I'm just trying to do my part. You know, I think that when you get in over your head is when you try to think that you can control everything and you can't. All you can do is just do your job. And uh, there's no question this season was a tough one for all of us, you know, just trying to figure it out. You know, your coach gets fired a couple couple weeks into the season uh, you know, um, Halsey gets traded, um, you know, just different things happened. And, uh, you know, but I, I felt for our team that we salvaged a lot of pride with the way we played and competed throughout the year. That's one thing is that coming to the rink every day was, was a lot of fun for me personally uh, with this group. And I really enjoyed playing with this group, being with them every day. So, you know, I'm very optimistic about the future of this team and, and continuing to get better. But there's no question that, you know, with everything going on, it, it's, it's, it's going to be difficult to make your team better. And, and for some teams, you know, that are pushing against the cap that have to make changes, um, who knows? We have to wait and see what happens. So it's just uh, the way the cookie crumbles sometimes. Now that you've just had a little bit of time off, um, maybe to reflect, what do you think went wrong? Why didn't it go the way that you guys wanted it to uh, this year? Uh, it's hard to pinpoint one specific thing. You know, all you can do is look back at the year and all of the things that happened. And I know that, you know, in my time and being in the league, when so many changes happen, it's very, very difficult to find a groove. And I think for our team, we we kind of found more of a groove towards the end of the season, and that's why we had more consistent success. But I think at the start of the season, it was just very difficult. I mean, I go back to the first game. We're up 4 nothing against Winnipeg going into the third, and we lose that game in overtime. And, you know, we lost a couple games like that in the first six or seven games of the season. So when that happens, it's tough, especially with a young team. And it just seems that we couldn't get our, just seemed that we couldn't get our feet under us. Um, but that's a part of learning. And I think that our group has to learn from those experiences and, uh, if you want to change the culture of those things in an organization, you have to be determined to do that as a group. It's not going to come from just bringing in new players or always thinking that, uh, you know, the results are outside the locker room. You have to, you know, understand who's in that locker room, who's there, has to get the job done. And um, that's experience, though. And, you know, I've been around for 11 years now playing pro hockey. So, you know, I've seen a lot of teams go through ups and downs. I mean, I look at my one year in Montreal where we, I think we won the first I can't remember what it was, but I think we went the, won the first 12 or 13 games of the season. And, you know, and, and I think we were in December, we were 25 and four, 25 and five or something like that. We ended up, didn't make the playoffs. So anything can happen. Um, it's an 82 game season. You know, when 
maybe a lot of people rule us out to not have things to play for. We played hard every game, guys blocking shots, and um, that's what you need. You need that type of commitment to, to build the team for the future. All right, last one for me. Tell me about, tell me about TikTok. My daughter's on TikTok. Uh, every time I look over, she's practicing a dance. I've been dying to know when you and Lindsay decide to do one of these videos, what's the process like? Who suggests it? Who directs it? How many takes does it, does it take to get it right? Well, I don't know if TikTok is a sign of me getting old, but it's like it's hard to keep up with TikTok. There's a <laughs> lot of things going on. There's a lot of time that has to be dedicated to making those videos. I just don't know if I have the time to cons- consistently bang out content that people are going to love like some of these kids are doing. It's unbelievable what they're doing. And it's really entertaining. Now, I'm one of those people that loves to scroll through TikTok and get a, and get a laugh. I can do that for an hour or two and, and get some really good laughs. But as far as making those videos, it takes a lot of time, and you have to get into a rhythm of it. Um, but if, I feel like the younger you are, uh, the more time and energy you have for it. So um, Lindsay and I, have, we've, we've done a few videos, but we're, we're a little bit slow up the gate with TikTok. So hopefully we can get some things going. I think we're going to try to come up for a plan of how we want to use the platform we're new to it so uh we'll see what we what our fans want us to do and what they like and then we'll figure it out awesome well last one for me one of the reasons we appreciate you is that you put yourself out there as a hockey player you know you're doing this game show you seek out these opportunities and you're always game for them i'm curious being around the league who's a guy that has an awesome personality you'd love to see put themselves out there more and can maybe be the next pk suban personality wise uh, well, I mean, um, I I don't think I would approach it with anybody in the league on, hey, you should be the next PK Subban. I think you got to know. Fair, fair, uh, fair, fair. You know, yeah, but one thing that is fair is that I am who I am. You know, what you get, what you see is kind of what you get. And, uh, you know, I've never been one to really um, care about haters or detractors or people that don't think that I should be doing stuff on TV or don't think that I should be trying different things while I'm playing. Um, you know, uh, you know, I'm opposed to those people that think that way. I think that's very shallow minded. Um, but I, but I think that, you know what, without pinpointing one specific player, I'm excited about seeing how the culture of hockey is changing. And it's actually kind of fun to watch because without it, being controlled and being controlled in a way of how it needs to change. It's interesting to see how every player or individual player has chosen to take it. You know, I'll I'll give you an example. Connor Carrick, who plays on my team, you know, who's starting his podcast on social media and he talks a lot about mental health and his podcast is unbelievable. Like Lindsay and I watch, you know, maybe he doesn't have the following that Lindsay or I have, but it like, I love to see a guy like that who maybe isn't traditionally well known amongst the hockey league or even past that, but is make taking it upon himself to talk about mental health and, 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 and is strong in that regard and is confident in that regard. And that's good to see. So it's not always has to be something on a major scale. It doesn't have to be huge. It doesn't have to be a huge production or anything like that. You don't have to be hosting a TV show uh, to show your personality. You just have to do what, resonates with you and what you like to do and what makes sense for you and you know i see austin matthews doing his thing and you know he he's into this ea sports game i know he's really good at the video games but he's got the style he's showing a little bit of it we see william nylander doing the 2c dance 
Austin, uh, <laughs> not Austin Matthews, but um, uh, Miles Wood on our team who posted a video doing his 2C slide dance. It's just fun to see guys just be themselves. And it's like, I, I don't think you can narrow it down to one specific thing or what guys should be doing. Guys got to figure out what they like to do and then run with that. You know, if, if you're a guy that, you know, likes to read books, you know, talk about that. If you like to take pictures of birds, talk about that. If you like to work out, take videos of that. Like, it's just whatever you're into. And, um, you know, I think for me, I've always just been true to kind of what I'm into. I like working out, so I post a lot of my videos working out because I know people ask about it a lot. Um, I, I go on TV because I get offered to go on TV. Like, you know <laughs> what I mean? So, uh, you know, I do things that I feel are going to make myself happy that I'm interested in doing. And, you know, like I said, I don't have to do all these things. I do them because I, I like to do them and I enjoy it. And I get 24 hours in a day and I can't train or be treated for 24 hours. So I got a lot of time on my hands and don't have any kids yet. So until I do, I'll continue to do these things and have fun. Awesome stuff. PK, thank you so much. The show is NHL Hat Trick Trivia. Saturdays on Sportsnet, Wednesdays on NBCSN. And it looks like a good time. The first episode is currently available on the NHL's YouTube channel. It was, a, it, was, it was a fun watch. Thanks for the time, PK. We appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Bye. That was great. Good trips on that one. And now it's time for another trip down the hockey media rabbit hole known as Phil Kessel Loves Hot Dogs. Phil Kessel loves hot dogs. No, he does not love to eat hot dogs. A weekly look look at sad hyperbole hyperbole and strange narratives of the hockey media. Good one, Randy. Good one. It's Phil Kessel Loves Hot Dogs. It's the department each week where we take a look at the foibles and hyperbole and mistakes made by the hockey media. Frequent contributor to this department is Ken Campbell, the Hockey News. And uh, Kenny this week tweeted, legitimate question. Why do people care whether Drew Doughty thinks there's going to be hockey this season? For that matter, who cares what Craig Berube or Don Fear or Gary Bettman think? It's not going to be their call and nobody has any idea at the moment. Well, I mean, for the reasons we detailed earlier, like Drew Doughty is a player who may be forced to play uh, this summer, despite his team not being in the playoffs, and voice that maybe that shouldn't happen. Like, he went into detail beyond the I don't think it's going to happen to talk about the training, to talk about how he felt hurt the entire season after the NHL held the World Cup of Hockey because his training regimen was so screwed up by playing a a, a high-impact tournament, as much as it was, in September. Um, I feel like this is a classic case of not necessarily quote-unquote, reading the transcript and just kind of going off the headlines uh, because Dowdy really intelligently spelled out why there could be some inherent risks about coming to back to play this summer or even messing around with the schedule for next season. So that's that's why people care because he's the hockey player talking about when the hockey should be played. I mean, that's just me speaking. I don't know. It seems to make sense to me, right? I care. Yeah. All right, time for listener mail, which we also care about. Mr. Jones wants to know, how soon before Mike Babcock goes to the KHL? Now, for those who haven't heard, Bill Peters, he of the physical abuse and racist comments uh, that made him resign from his job in Calgary this past season, uh, got a new coaching gig in the KHL. And so Mr. Jones wants to know, is Mike Babcock Canadian icon? Uh, the next guy to head over to Russia to rehabilitate 
I don't. I, w- I would be careful there to rehabilitate to get an opportunity to coach. Uh, yes, I think we've seen that KHL teams are willing to get top talent from North America to legitimize themselves as a league. And, and look, Bill Peters might not be the best coach and with the best reputation with his players, but he got results in North America and he was highly esteemed in the hockey Canada system. And I believe that's why he got this job. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if a team made an offer to Mike Babcock. I think it's just a matter of this point of what he wants to do next. Yeah. And I've said for a long time that the thing that Mike Babcock has to do next is probably do a 20 minute sit down with James Duthie on TSN and may culpa some of the things that he did while he was the coach of the Red Wings that have come out. Um, but that's a matter of pride. You know, it's a matter of having the pride to know that you need to do the things that are necessary in order to mend your reputation or having too much pride and believing you don't even have to do any of that because what you did wasn't wrong. And I guess we'll find out which, which road Mike Babcock takes when he decides to stop collecting those Maple Leafs paychecks and get back into the coaching ranks. Uh, P, PD Exotic, who has uh, been the, let's see, five millionth person to put Exotic in their name after Tiger King. Has anyone in the league or the union said how escrow hockey related revenue or the salary cap will work next year? Um, they've danced around it. I mean, I think the, the, the current thinking is that the cap will remain static. Um, they certainly don't want to have it drop because that would be Armageddon for teams. Uh, but I think that's kind of what they've thought. And escrow, I mean, is just going to, the players are preparing to take multiple years of hits on the amount of money that they have to make up in revenue this year if the, if the season doesn't go forward. Yeah, exactly. The cap's going to be an artificial number next year. We know that the league is losing as much as $1 billion of revenue if they can't stage any games. Um, they're not going to make teams go down to a $60 million salary cap and say, hey, this is what you guys made last year. Figure it out. Uh, that's yeah. not going to happen. I think static uh, was a pretty good educated guess right now. Indeed. All right. Now it's time for Puck Headlines. Uh, Dateline, unfortunate tragedy. Colby Cave. Man, this is a horrible story. Uh, died Saturday morning after suffering a brain bleed earlier in the week. He was 25. Uh, the Oilers and his family announced on Tuesday they have established the Colby Cave, uh, Colby Cave Memorial Fund. Proceeds from the fund will go towards community programs with an emphasis on mental health initiatives and providing access to sports for underprivileged kids. Uh, Emily, you covered this uh, for ESPN. Um, what are your thoughts on, on this tragedy? Man, everyone you talk to who has played with Colby Cave just has the kindest things to say about him. He was the guy that just grinded his butt off. He was undrafted. He loved being at the rank. He would give everyone a hug every time he got called up or down from the AHL. And I just love seeing those visuals on Monday night at his hometown in Saskatchewan. They did this thing where everyone was told to park their cars to honor social distancing guidelines along this highway as his family was escorted back into town to return home just to show their support. And people said there was some 15 kilometers worth of cars, hundreds, maybe thousands of people uh, who showed up. So that's true Saskatchewan to you and uh, rest in peace to him. And, and, you know, I'm just thinking of his family. Like he just got married to um, his wife, Emily, last summer. Um, I just can't imagine what life's like for her right now. Indeed. And like you said, true Saskatchewan right there. It's a good line. Uh, Dateline NWHL. The Women's League made news this week when the AP reported that it's looking like we're finally going to get that Canadian expansion for the National Women's Hockey League into Toronto. Anything about that? Yeah, you yeah, well, you know, last year when the CWHL folded, the NWHL came out and was like, we're going to go to Canada. Like, that's going to happen. We're going to extend our imprint there. And then they couldn't get it done. It was a lot harder than they thought. Um, Canadian labor laws were a 
big hurdle. Um, I'm curious to see how they get past that hurdle. I've heard that that's the one thing that's kind of tying them up right now. But Digit Murphy is connected to this team. She's a legit name in hockey. And um, I'm curious to see what players she's able to recruit. Apparently, there are some players who were in the PHWPA who now say they will play for this team. So it'll be a really interesting story to follow. Yeah, and uh, all those people waiting on the sidelines for this league to fold. <laughs> I ain't folding. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't know. I, I, listen, we don't know what the books like, look like. We don't know nothing about their revenues. We don't know anything about this league because they are pretty clandestine with that stuff. But they keep pushing forward in a way that's very defiant. And there's a part of me that really appreciates that. Uh, Dateline Canada. According to USA Today, who apparently is reporting on Canada, despite the name, Canada is using hockey sticks for social distancing. The city of Toronto has posted signs encouraging citizens to remain two meters apart or, quote, about the length of a hockey stick, the sign reads. At Harvey's, the famous Canadian fast food joint, debit card machines have been attached to the end of hockey sticks so that drive through workers can slide through the driver's side window with them. Uh, Emily, this is the most Canadian thing I think we've ever had on the show. True Canada. That's all I got. <laughs> all we're missing here is like a Tim Hortons reference. Like there should have been a Tim Hortons reference in there. And you know what? Like you said, it's USA Today commenting on Canada. They probably should have known better, but that's the only thing missing in this. And they 100% refer to hockey sticks when they say to flatten the curve, right? Like that's got to be it. Like, okay, don't get your, don't, you don't want to fill Kessel there. You want to get it down to a Ryan O'Reilly there. Um, well, who was it? It was that woman. <laughs> She was some type of politician, and I'm totally butchering this, but it was early on in the coronavirus, and she was trying to use an example, and she's like, we need to be where the puck is going to be, not where it is right now. Yeah, she's the Gretzky thing. That's yeah. the only analogy that her <laughs> constituents would truly understand and be able to visualize. Uh, Dateline John Spano. So uh, we were going to do a classic NHL game for the Viewers Club this week on ESPN.com, but it didn't work out. It will work out very soon, but we decided to switch gears and do a uh, classic 30 for 30. I had never seen Big Shot, the documentary on John Spano fraudulently buying the New York Islanders in the 1990s. You had seen it. Um, what was your favorite thing from revisiting this incredible documentary besides my brief feud with Kevin Connolly on Twitter, which is now okay? Oh, no, it was like a love fest. It was like one <laughs> snarky tweet by him, and then you guys were best buds. Um, you know, it was funny. You know, I'd seen it before I started covering the league, and now, you know, seeing these names like Jim Lights, who we know is the current Dallas CEO, being interviewed there and being like, yeah, he was going to come by our team, but we got really weird vibes like when we went to New York with him and he wouldn't pick up the check for lunch, and that's when I knew he was a fraud. Um, mm. And so then they he goes and tries to buy the Panthers, and then – Dennis Potvin apparently recommends him because he's a Florida broadcaster at the time. He's like, you should really look into buying the Islanders. I had so many questions on that. It really didn't get covered. But it was an incredible documentary. And Kevin Connolly pointed out on Twitter, which I think is true, the true MVP is the fact that Gary Bettman sat down for an interview because he really didn't need to. It's an embarrassing black eye for the league. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and, and more power to Bettman. Bettman has, has said that's like one of the only, maybe the only mistake he's made as, as commissioner was the John Spano thing, or maybe the greatest. That mistake is the he's only made. mistake he's made. He's he's in, he's flawless otherwise. Yeah, exactly. Now you you thought Paul Giamatti for Paul, John Spano. I said Jeremy Strong from Succession, and then Kevin Conley, the director, comes through with maybe the best choice, Jonah Hill, for John Spano. That's a really solid choice if they ever get around to making the fictionalized version of Big Shot. I I dig that. That was smart. 
I yeah, still think that I, my Giamatti's probably a little old. He might be, but it, it's I, he captures the energy, and I do. I I still I stick with my guns though. As much as uh, as as Connolly wants to, you know, cast whoever is. Like Kyle Chandler or somebody as as uh, as Mike Milbury, which I think is a fine choice. Just you have to use the CGI de aging and just put Milbury in the movie as himself. There's only one Mike Milbury. You put him in. Finally, uh, Dateline Greg and Emily. What you been binging? What you been reading? Was have you have you made any progress on Bear Town? Oh yeah, I'm done with Bear Town. I'm looking into procuring the sequel, and then also the publisher reached out to me and said that he's coming out with a new book this fall. Um, it's a non-hockey book, so I'm excited about that. Oh, cool. Um, but I, I must say, all I've done recently is I put this in our viewers' guide. I've watched the quarantine episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> now, I think I'm going on four times because it just holds up so well, and it really does encapsulate the nervous, frenetic energy that we all enter this thing with, and and. Uh, hopefully how we're all going to get out of it. So um, once I put it in there, Ben Arlid from our staff said he watched it last night and I had nothing better to watch. So I turned that on as well. There you go. Uh, I'm reading uh, Jeff Tweedy from Wilco's autobiography, which is really good so cool. far. Um, dig that book. And then watching, uh, there's just a flood of stuff came back recently, um, including yeah. Killing Eve, which uh, uh, restarted on Sunday. And the first episode was a good table setter. And uh, just nice to have Jodie Comer back in my life, killing people. Uh, you know, during these troubled time, these troubling times. I was really excited for Insecure to come back on uh, Sunday, and I'm just really curious of what the overlap is between our audience and the audience of Insecure. I'm going to guess we have like two listeners. <laughs> That's Issa Rae's show. I, I, I watch Insecure, so uh, I don't know if I count towards that total, but. Uh, it, it was good, and it definitely set the table for some fun things this season. But I don't know. I guess it, it all depends on how many members of the Black Girls Hockey Club do tune in on a weekly basis to ESPN and Ice. Because I imagine Insecure is a flagship show for our friends in that booster club. Uh, all right. That is the show for this week. Thanks to Chris Versteeg. Thanks to PK Subban. Thanks to Ryan, our producer, for throwing it all together. Uh, you can read our stuff on ESPN.com. My column, The Wishlist, runs on Thursdays. And two podcasts that I also do if you want to listen to them, Puck Soup, where I curse, and also Mise en Pod, our Top Chef podcast that my wife and Ryan Lambert do with me on the Puck Soup Patreon if you want to check that out. Thank you guys so much for listening this week and continuing to listen through all of this at a time when there is no hockey being played, but we're trying to give you hockey content anyway. And all I got to say is love you. Bye. 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 This has been ESPN on Ice with Wachinski and Kaplan. Subscribe to the show in the ESPN app or Apple Podcasts.